So I want you to open your Bibles with me today to Colossians chapter 2. If you're following along in the Bible journal, it's chapter, uh, sorry, it's page 80 uh, in this booklet. And again, I just encourage you to continue to hold on to these. Uh, when we finish up in a couple of weeks the book of Colossians, we will have walked through Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians this fall. But I don't want you to take this book and like toss it away. I want you to keep it, put it on a shelf. Put it alongside the Revelation booklet that we gave you this past summer. Uh, in January, we're going to hand you a book that will have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as we walk through a harmony of the Gospels in the first, um, in the first couple of months of 2024. And so we're going to build a, an entire library, if you will of these booklets that will have sermon notes along with God's Word that you can hold on to and cherish, go back and look at years and years down the road. We want to make sure you hold on to those as we walk through uh, these series. And the reason is this, is in today's world, there's never been a more important time for God's people to be more in tune with and understanding of God's Word. There are so many competing philosophies, so many challenging statements, so many different ideas and distractions that are, uh, that are prevalent in every area of society. It is so easy and would be so easy even for the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, to get sidetracked, to get deceived, to get pushed off of center and, and, and begin to move away from the truth of God's word. There's never been a more important time than today than for us to know God's word, to stand on God's word, to read God's word, to share God's word, and to live according to God's word than right now. And in light of that statement, that really is kind of what brings us to Colossians chapter two. Because as I shared with you last week, Paul was writing this letter to the church at Colossae, a church he'd never visited, he'd heard a lot about them, He'd heard what was going on there. He was encouraged by a lot of the things that he was hearing. But he also recognized and he understood, he had been made aware of uh, individuals and situations and people and ideas and philosophies that were beginning to kind of move into and kind of sneak into, if you will, the people of the church at Colossae. And so he writes this letter to just like make them understand, like don't move away from truth. And so I hope you can see kind of the connection between like what it was so important for Paul to write to that church that today we walk through and understand that ultimately what it was is that God through the apostle Paul was speaking to that church but speaking to this church. Because nothing is different in the church of Colossae than it is for the church of Thomas Road. Because where we are today there are competing philosophies. There are people who would love for this church to, to change what we do and change what we believe and change what we stand on. There are people today that would love for this church to, uh, to kind of you know, open our arms a little wider, not to people, we love all people, but to open our arms a little bit to different ideas of what truth is. And so that's why we are kind of really like leaning back into in a, in a more specific and a succinct way. Like we want to know God's word because today there are so many different things competing for the truth of God's word. And so Colossians chapter two is it builds on what we talked about last week. You remember we talked about last week in Colossians chapter one that, that the Paul gave us a couple of checklists, if you will, for the marks of the believer. He talked about uh, how we must have faithfulness, faithfulness to Christ, faithfulness to his word, faithfulness to his work. And, and we talked about the hope of glory that Christ is. We talked about who Christ is, the, the, the supremacy of Christ, the deity of Christ. And so today, 
Colossians chapter 2, which is, again, this letter was not written in chapters. When Paul wrote it, he wrote one letter. Later, it was split up into four different chapters. But as we kind of walk through, it's a natural kind of move into this next idea that we're going to study and walk through today as we understand what it really means to build our life on Christ. And so let's dig into the passage here. We're going to go to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to start with verse 1. And right out of verse 1, what Paul gives us, he gives us the definition of everything. Now think about that statement, the definition of everything. How many of you have ever been confused about anything in your life? Just raise your hand. Been confused about anything? Yeah. We're always confused about different things. Confused about so many situations and so many issues and so Like it is a natural thing for us to be confused. I mean, it is not weird at all. Have you ever tried to figure out how to, you know, how to do something to work on your car? Uh, yesterday, in the last couple of days, I have this little ATV that I bought years ago. And it wouldn't start. And so I figured if it wouldn't start, I needed to go out and get a new battery. And so I went out and bought a new battery. And I brought that battery back and I, I was really proud of myself because like me and tools, it just doesn't, the, the, to these, the, you know, the, these things are not like each other. It just doesn't work together, right? And so I went and actually I took the battery out. It took me an hour. I had to FaceTime my son, Jonathan, and say, say Jonathan, what do I do with this? And, and so he told me which tools to use and how to get it. And, I, and number one, I actually had the tool. I was pretty proud of myself. I went and I dug through my garage and I found the tool that I needed. And, and so he told me what to do. I was able to get the battery out. I was able to get the battery in. I put it all back in. I locked it all down, battened it down, and realized it was the wrong battery. So then I had to go and pull it back out and go back and get another battery and come back and do all that again. I was confused. Well, like while I was confused in that, there are so many of us that are also confused in this thing called the Christian walk. Colossians chapter 2 is a picture of how you can understand what it really means to walk in Him, to build your life upon Him, to get beyond the confusion that is so prevalent and, and so regular that we can actually understand what it means to follow Christ. So let's go here to the definition of everything. And what a great statement. Verse 1. Paul says, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you. Now what he's really saying is like what an internal battle I have for you. The internal battle, we're going to read it here, is like he's encouraged by what he's hearing, but he's worried about what he's also hearing that is going to happen. I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. In other words, I've not been there. You, we've never met, but I'm concerned for you. That their hearts, talking about you, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in your flesh, in other words, I'm not there, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Now, I want you to get out a pen. Uh, if you don't already have one, if you're following along on a phone or an iPad, cool. Get ready to highlight some stuff here. I want you to circle some stuff, underline some stuff, because there's some important statements here we need to get. Because if I'm going to give you the definition of everything, and you say, well, what's included in everything? Everything. 
If you want to figure out like how you can really kind of be in locked sync with what God wants you to do in your walk with him to build your life upon him, I'm going to give you the definition of everything. And it's not for me because that would be useless. This comes from the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And here right out of the gate, he says this, a couple of things. Number one, that your hearts may be encouraged. In other words, God does not want defeated Christians. God does not want discouraged Christians. He wants Christians, followers of Christ, who their hearts are uplifted and they are encouraged. Now, when you go in and study the original Greek in Paul's writings here, he's not talking about that their hearts may be encouraged because they were like they were in a rough place. It's not like they needed to be, you know, someone needed to cheer them up. They weren't like that. What he was saying is like, hey, I want to continue to to make sure that you have a heart of joy in everything that you do. And that is the first step to understanding, like getting through the confusion, getting through the the challenge of following Christ, of walking through this this ever-changing landscape of our culture, is that we need to understand we must have a life and a heart that is encouraged. That every single day when you wake up, one of the first things that run through your mind is, I can't believe God loves me so much. That I can't believe that God loves me so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, who died for me and rose again for me. And though I can never work my way to heaven, that God actually wants to spend eternity with me. Think about those words for a minute. The God of the universe, the God that we read about in the Bible, the God who created everything that there is. He loves you so very much. He wants to spend eternity with you. Now, if that doesn't encourage you, then you can't be encouraged. If that doesn't lift your heart, then you can't have your heart lifted because God loves you that much. What an amazing statement. So that's the first statement. Underline that uh, out of verse two, that their hearts may be encouraged. But then how do we do that? So how do we make sure that our hearts are encouraged? Well, again, verse two, the next statement, be knit together in love. And this is a kind of a a throwback to Matthew chapter 22. And as you know, Jesus was asked the question, what's the most important commandment? What did Jesus say? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And the second, like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. He wants the body of Christ to be knit together in love. He wants the body of Christ to truly love one another in this room. Now, you've heard me say it oftentimes. That, you know, through history of this church and any church, there's always little factions. There's always little little rumblings that are going on. There's always little situations that are going on. I kind of use the joke sometimes where, you know, there are people sitting on this side of the room that don't like people that are sitting on that side of the room. And as long as they go out that door and they go out that door, then everything's okay. But if they ever meet in the middle, you know, Katie bar the door, right? And, And I've joked about that. The problem is it's not really joking. Because I know that there are people in this room. I know there are people in this room who don't like other people in this room. And I will tell you this, not from a preacher, certainly it grieves my heart. It grieves the heart of God. Because what he says is that we would be knit together in love. J. Vernon McGee says it this way, being knit together in love means compacted in love. That means pressed together. That means not one sitting over here and one sitting over here. Like it literally means being pressed together in love. Why? Because love will draw them together. After all, a church is not united by gifts or even by what we term today as spirituality. The bond that unites believers is love. 
It is the cement that holds us together. It's the Elmer's glue of the church. Or in today's vernacular, it's the super glue of the church. That's what keeps us together. Okay, now this church, man, it's an active church. Lots of things that are happening here. Lots of great things that are going on around this, this body of Christ, this, this church community. Had kids carnival with us last week. I think we had like 4,000 kids that came through. It was incredible. I came down here, walked around with my granddaughter for about 15 minutes, and then she went into one of the jumping little houses there, the inflatables. I was cold, so I left. And I went home and got a pizza. Uh, but, but, but man, the, the kids were everywhere. It was so cool to see that kind of an impact of people, you know, having the opportunity. And the amazing thing is I walked around Kids Carnival and the vast majority of the people that I saw, I did not recognize, which I love because what that tells me is this. It's not like that I don't know you. It's that we're reaching people outside of the church. And that is the beauty of what's happening here. We sit here and we see all of the great things that are taking place, the lives that are being changed, the, the studies that are going on, the impact that is happening in so many different ways in so many different places, and recognize and understand that while all of those things are great and all of those things are awesome and all of those things, all of those things are programs and they're activities. They do not bond the church together. What bonds the church together is love for one another, of recognizing what Jesus said, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so he says, you've got to be knit together in love. So we got to be encouraged. Secondly, we have to be knit together in love. And then third, he goes on to say, so that we will have the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Now, if you remember last week in verse 26 of Colossians chapter one, we talked about that idea, that word mystery, this whole idea, this, this weird thing, this, this kind of this understanding that was deeper than people really could grab a hold of. And while once it was only available to one group of people, and now that it was available to all because of what Christ has done. And here he says, listen, and what you need to have is the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, is this understanding, as it tells us in verse two, that the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Now the Schofield Bible talks about this mystery of Christ in this way. It says this, the mystery of God is Christ. In other words, God, who is this God the Father, God creator, this God that so many people feel so distant from, that the mystery of that God is really no mystery at all, because the mystery of that God is the one who took on flesh and came to this earth and died for our sins and rose again, the one who calls us to himself, the one who healed, the one who spoke, the one who taught, the one who loved. The mystery of God is Christ as incarnating the fullness of the Godhead and all of the divine wisdom that comes in Christ, that comes from God, that is God. It goes on to tell us in this passage that that knowledge is for the redemption and the reconciliation of man. The mystery of God is the fact that Christ actually came to make you right with him. In other words, while it is a mystery, it's not some mystery you'll never be able to figure out. And so again, you want to have this definition of everything, how to get through the confusion and, and, and get through the distractions and, and, and rise above the noise, the chatter that's going on in every setting. Well, then make sure you understand that in your journey, that in your life, that in your walk with God, that you are always having an encouraged heart, that you always are knit together in love, that you understand the knowledge and the mystery of God that is Christ. And then it goes on to say this, so that that you would not be deceived with persuasive words. In other words, Paul says, hey, there are people who are gonna try to change what you think. There are people who are gonna try to confuse you. 
There are people who are going to write books. There are people who are going to be on television programs. There are people who are going to do podcasts. There are people who are going to be on radio shows and television shows and and, and YouTube videos. There are people that you might run into at class or at work or at school. There are people you might even run into at church. There are preachers who will get up on stages. And what they will try to do too is to deceive you with words that make sense. They will tell you things about God. That's like, man, that, I get that. I understand that. Yeah, that, that makes sense. That makes sense. All the while, the words that they are saying are words that do not line up with Scripture. And what I will tell you clearly is simply this, according to God's Word, that any preacher, any friend, any teacher, any book, any podcast, any radio show, any TV show, anything that you might see, that tells you things about God that do not line up with the word of God. They are not talking about the God. They're talking about a God. They're talking about a God that is not alive, a God that is not real, and a God that will never give you the gift of salvation. So don't allow yourself to be deceived with the persuasive words of the culture. And it's happening every single day. It's happening within the church. I heard a story this week of of actually a friend of mine who grew up in the church, has always walked with God and grew up in a family that loved God and grew up in a family that, man, stood on the word of God and, man, they were in church every time the doors were open. And I heard this week and and the story of how they've, they've actually shifted away from what they believed and they began to change a little bit and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and now they are completely walking away from their faith and denying the faith that they grew up understanding. How does that happen? That does not happen by accident. That happens because there is this thief who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. It happens because there is a real person called Satan whose job is it is, the only focus of his existence is to deceive you away from truth into what might be a perceived truth. To deceive you away from what God said to what another God might say. To get you to stop believing in the only God that's real and to get you to start believing in something that is a fraud. And so Paul says, You've got to make sure you understand this stuff so that you will not be deceived with persuasive words. And when we get there, then we continue to grow. And that brings us to the Christian's response in verse 6. And I want you to circle or highlight both verses 6 and 7. Because this is kind of the crux of Colossians chapter 2. Kind of the key thoughts in this passage. It says in verse 2, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught abounding in it with thanksgiving i love how paul is writing here and he writes in these like little cute perfect little checklists that we can kind of get and understand here and verses six and seven are exactly that so it starts therefore If you've received Christ, in other words, if you're a person who claims that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, having believed that he's God's son, that he died and that he rose again for you, you've accepted him and believed in him, you have turned from the sin of rejecting Christ and accepted him as Lord and Savior, so then therefore walk in him. In other words, daily 
take steps towards that faith. It's not like it's a one and done. It's not like, oh, I've accepted Christ. Okay, now I'm going to go do whatever I want to do. That it's a daily journey, a daily walk, that daily, until the day you die, that you are constantly going to be walking in him and walking towards him. That you're going to be taking proactive steps, diligent steps, getting closer and closer and closer to him every single day. Why? Because when you're walking in him, then you will be rooted and built up in him. So that word rooted, that word rooted there, the Greek uh, root word there actually gives us the idea of being rendered firm, to fix and to establish, to cause a person or a thing to be thoroughly grounded. And so what God's word says here, what Paul's saying here is like walk in him so you will be rooted in him. In other words, you'll have a strong foundation. That you will be like digging deep down into your faith, deep down into who God is, deep down into what he wants you to understand and what he wants you to know. So that while you are digging, your roots go down deep into him, that as you grow, as you get older, as you continue walking in your faith, that your roots are so deep in him that no matter what wind is up here blowing, you will not be blown about by every wind of doctrine. Get it? So like, again, the World Trade Center, the tw- Twin Towers, they were about 14 or 1,500 feet tall. The new one World Trade Center that was built in place of those buildings is 1,776 feet tall. It's actually 1,791 with the towers that are there, but uh, really 1,776 feet tall. It's, it, 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 it's towers over all of New York City, over Manhattan. And, and that building, when they built that building, while it's 1,776 feet tall, it goes down into the bedrock of New York City, 150 feet. In other words, the most important part of that building is not the building you see, it's the building you don't. Because if it did not go down 150 feet into the bedrock of Manhattan, then what would happen is any time the wind would blow, that 1,776 foot building would fall over. You see, the most important part of that structure is a part of the structure that will never be seen by human eyes. It will never be visited. It will never have people going by and taking pictures in front of or, uh, you know, from it or by it or around it. No, no. It's a part that's in the dirt. It's in the ground. It's in the rock. You'll never see it. But if it were not there, that building would not stand. If you go to Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and you go to the Petronas Towers that were the tallest buildings and structure on the face of the earth from 1994 to about 2005. If you visited that structure, Twin Towers, the bridge in between, you've seen it in movies and and different things, and you recognize that while that building is about 1,500 feet tall, the incredible thing is that while it's 1,500 feet tall, because of the, the, the ground around it, because of the unsettled land that it's built upon, that the foundations, the structure of that building go down into the ground 400 feet So almost a third of the building that you see above ground is underground to keep the part that's above ground from crashing down. So you see the illustration here, right? You get the picture. I don't need to explain it to you. The more that you dig your life down into the foundation of who Christ is, the stronger your life will be. The deeper you go in your faith, the stronger the person that people will see will be. In other words, 
That is what Paul is telling us here, is that we must understand that we would walk in him so that we will be rooted in him. Like that every single day we're digging a little deeper. Every single day we're going a little further. Every single day we're building more and more and more foundation so that we will be stronger as we grow, stronger as we lead, stronger as we serve, stronger as we get older in life, that we must root. Why? Because when we root further and further and deeper and deeper, then the next part, that we will then be built up. In other words, the height of your destiny with God is clearly dependent on your depth of your knowledge of God. You will only go as high with him that you have gone deep in him. So don't ever sit there and expect like, man, I'm gonna do great things for God, but never actually building the foundation with which is required. Don't ever sit back and think, man, when I get out of college, young people, when I get out of school, man, I'm gonna go out, man, I'm gonna change the world. And while saying that, you're not doing anything to dig the foundations necessary to get you there. Because you can have the greatest of intentions, you can have the greatest of ideas, you can have the the most amazing plans, but if you are not rooted in Christ, those plans will fail. Now here's the sad part. They usually don't fail right away. They usually fail a little bit further down the road. And the reason they fail a little bit further down the road is because Satan wants to use that to destroy more and more people. We've all seen pastors who have fallen. Great pastors who've written great books, who've preached great sermons, who've done great, great things. And we think, man, they're awesome, they're incredible. And then we hear the stories behind the story. And then the story breaks of how they were a fraud, a hypocrisy that that was so rampant in their ministry. And you sit back and think, how could that happen? Here's how it could happen. Because they were building up without rooting down. So don't ever allow yourself to build up unless you have first dug deep. And that's what Paul says here, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving, always being thankful for what God has done. Max Anders says it this way, he said, we've got to take it step by step, day by day, we're to conduct our affairs in conscious submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Life is a journey and we are not expected to sprint through it. We are just to make steady progress, a slow walk day by day. And so he tells us clearly, this is our response, verses six and seven, this is what we must do. And so the reason we do that is so that we don't get sidetracked. Look at verse eight, beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, And you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, but putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. That's by the cross of Jesus Christ. We have been made right with God with what Christ has done. Buried with him in baptism, we experienced that this morning, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. 
And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you of all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, that's the law, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And so here Paul gives us other statement, like stay away from legalism. Now that's not the legalism, the idea like, you know, you can't listen to this and you can't do this and you can't have hair over your ears and you got to wear a tie. That's not the kind of legalism he's talking about. He's talking about the kind of legalism that made them think that it was Jesus plus something to find salvation. We've talked about this a lot in the last couple of months. That, 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 that yes, that Christ died, and yes, he rose again, but, but you still have to go back and follow the law. Yeah, but you still have to go back and do what Moses said, the, old, the Mosaic law in the Old Testament. You've got to do all that stuff. He said, no, 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 you've been set free. You've moved beyond that. So don't allow yourself to, to be cheated through these empty deceits that are according to the tradition of men, rules and legalism, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. What a powerful statement. In other words, all those things Christ has fulfilled. Christ has done away with because of what he's done once and for all. In verse 9, it says, For in him Christ dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In other words, in Christ is everything that you need. That we have been raised in new life and we've been forgiven. What an incredible story. And so it goes on to tell us, and this, this picture, so we don't get sidetracked. We have to make sure that we understand verses 6 and 7, that we're walking in Him, rooted and built up in Him, like walking in thanksgiving, walking in worship. We've got to make sure that we understand this, this idea, this definition of what the Christian life looks like. Why? So we can understand, according to this rest of this passage, how we have been set free. Look what it says in verse 16. So let no one judge you in food or drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath that has to do with, again, the Old Testament law, the legalism that was there, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. Let no one cheat you out of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship, that's hypocrisy, uh, worship of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, to God, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. Therefore, if you died with Christ from the basic principles of the world, why, as though living in the world, do you subject yourself to regulations? In other words, go back to the letter of Galatians. Like, why do you want to go back to that way of thinking when Christ has set you free? Verse 21. Do not touch, do not taste, do not handle. He's kind of using this phraseology that a lot of the Pharisees would use, which all concern things which perish with the using, according to the commandments and the doctrines of men. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Go back to verse 20. This is the key. Therefore... If you had died with Christ from the basic principle of this world, as though living in the world, do you subject yourselves to regulations? Warren Wiersbe says it this way. This then is the main theme of Colossians. All the believer needs is Christ. Man-made systems and regulations seem very spiritual, but they are merely worldly principles. This is kindergarten living, and we must graduate into a higher level 
of Christianity. In other words, the Christian walk is all not about do's and don'ts. The Christian walk is all about him. So let me give you three quick statements on how we can apply Colossians chapter two to our lives, okay? It's in the notes on the app. It might be on the screen. I added this this morning. So again, we'll see how good these guys are. They're amazing. Might be on the screen. If not, uh, just write it down. The first one is this. Don't miss the promise of tomorrow by being distracted by today. Don't miss the promise of tomorrow. Hey, look at this. these guys are awesome. Don't miss the promise of tomorrow by being distracted by today. We go back to verse three. Why? Because in, him, in whom, in him, Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Do you get that? Everything you need to know about life and living is found in Christ. Everything you need to know about business and, and, and school is found in Christ. Everything you need to know about relationships is found in Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So don't miss the promise of tomorrow by being distracted by the things of today. Number two, don't let the joy of following Christ be clouded by the task of following rules. In other words, don't let legalism take the joy of following Christ away from you. Go back again to verse 17. The rituals which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. In other words, it might have a little bit of spirituality shaken in. It might look a little bit like what it means to be a follower of Christ, but it's a shadow of things to come. It's not the real deal. It's not exactly what Christ intended. And so it said, don't let the joy of following Christ be clouded by the task of following rules. Now, here's what I know. There are some people in this room, both young and old, that are sitting back saying, yes, because now I can go do whatever I want to do. Because I can't let the promise of tomorrow be clouded by following rules. And you're sitting there saying, I know the first rule I'm going to break. This is awesome. This is great. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to live however I want to live. Remember when I told you there were three things I was going to give you to how to apply this? Here's the third. Because the third deals with that very thought. The third one is this. Don't miss the hope of tomorrow because of the temptations of today. In other words, following rules will not save you. But once you are saved, it better change the way that you live. It definitely changes the way we walk. Following Christ does look different than the world. There are too many Christians today who will claim the liberty and the grace and the freedom that comes through Christ to then go out and to live exactly the way the world lives because we've been set free. We have liberty, we have freedom, we have grace that comes from Christ. Therefore, I can do whatever I want to do. When you believe that, you are not believing the truth of God's word. You're believing the lies of the devil. Satan wants you to believe that you have been set free, so therefore I can do whatever I want to do. God's word says different. Look what it says in verse 19. Let no one cheat you of your reward. That's verse 18, verse 19. And not holding fast to the head from whom all the body nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments grows with the increase that is from God. That statement, holding fast to God. You cannot hold fast to God while holding fast to the world. You cannot hold on to him while you're holding on to the past. You cannot hold on to the promise of tomorrow while you are gripped by the temptations and the sin of the here and now. 
So we've got to make sure we don't miss out on that because we're tempted in this. Arthur Creeth Davis said this, I felt that if something spectacular in my Christian life was not transpiring, my faith was weakening. As a result, I missed most of what was going on in the valleys waiting to get back to the mountain. That's a powerful statement because so many people in their Christian walk are so distracted and captivated and confused and, and diffused by the things that are going on in this world, by the challenges and the heartache and the problems and the temptations that seem to be in every turn, that because we are so captivated and, and captured in that, that we're sitting back waiting, God, just show up and do something big. And while we're sitting there waiting for God to show up and do something big, we're missing out on all that God is doing every single day in our journeys. And so this passage, Colossians chapter 2, again, is a reminder, not only for a church in Colossae, but a church in Lynchburg. It's not only for some people who lived 2,000 years ago, it's for the people who are living right now. It's not just for the people who are sitting there in modern-day Turkey. It is for the people who are sitting in this room that God spoke to us 2,000 years ago through this letter. And he said this, Dig deep in your faith so that you can go big in your service. Let's pray. God, thank you for the encouragement that we find in your word. Lord, today we are all walking through a time and in a culture, Lord, that we know is so confused, a culture that is so corrupt, a culture that is redefining truth daily. God, I pray that for every person who has heard your word today, that we would understand that our responsibility is to stand on the truth that has always been, the truth that was before the world began, and the truth which will be here for eternity, and that is you. And God, if there's someone here today who has never understood that truth, have never come to that place where they've recognized you love them, and that Christ died for them. He rose again for them. God, I pray right now in this moment that the decision that they will make will be one that will affect their eternity because they have called on and believed in Jesus. And God, for that, we give you praise. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, our team is gathering here as we do every week. And we're going to do it every week until the rapture happens. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I encourage you at the end of this service in just a moment to make your way down to the front and talk with one of the men or women who are gathered here at the front. Say, listen, I, I, I want to know about Jesus. I want to know what it means to root in him. Like, I don't even understand what that means. Like, like how, do I, how do I build my life upon my faith, upon Christ? Like, how do I do that? Every single man and woman st standing at the front here can help you understand what that looks like. They can pray with you. They can help you figure out what the next steps are. We have resources, we'll give to you, no charge, that will help you take those next steps. And if you're here and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, they would love to tell you and explain to you who he is and what he's done. And so I encourage you in a moment, just make your way to the front. If you're here today and maybe your life has kind of like gotten a little off track, maybe you're like that friend I was talking about a few moments ago who has completely abandoned their faith, maybe that's you. And maybe for some weird turn of events, you happen to show up in the room today and you're not even sure why, but you're here. Well, maybe you're here because God wanted you to hear 
the truth of God's word that you need to make sure you build your life upon him. If that's you, man, I encourage you, come down and talk with one of our team members. If you want to come for baptism, man, we'd love to experience and celebrate that with you. If you want to come and, and join our church family, we'd love to have you do that as well. So whatever it is, when this service is over in a moment, our team is here. We'd love to talk to you. God, we thank you for the way that you reveal truth to us in your word. God, I thank you, Lord, that with all the distractions that are pervasive in our culture, God, that we can lock in, hone in on you and your word so that we will know how to live. We will know what to do. We will know how to walk. We'll know how to serve. God, I pray that for every person hearing my voice today, that we will get it and we will do it. And for that, we give you praise. We give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you leave today, don't forget, you can pick up the Christmas boxes out in the lobby. You can talk with our mission team that's out there. Find out how you can get involved. If you're here and want to come down and talk with one of our team members, we're here. And for next week, read Colossians chapter 3. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.